0: Welcome to The Close-Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation to be had about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. You're listening to episode 48 of The Close-Knit Podcast, and this week I spoke to Aaron M. Riley. Aaron is someone whose work I've followed and admired for literal years, and if I'm being extremely honest, I was so psyched when they agreed to come on the podcast. Aaron's work has always deeply intrigued me, and their internet presence has always focused on their work, so I was especially excited to get to talk to them and hear more about how they make their incredible, gigantic tapestries, and how their life experiences have informed their work. Erin takes me all the way back to middle school when they were a restless teen sewing seed beads onto clothing and winning sewing machine threading competitions at school. We talk about their family dynamics and how their family's journey with addiction has impacted them and the type of work they created. We discuss the early internet and how it's changed, how their work engages with various forms of pleasure and themes that are often not talked about publicly And we discussed the ways that people have engaged with their work online and off, and the importance of making work that can be engaged with in person. Erin was so deeply candid with me in this episode, and I really appreciated their perspective on both their own art and its interaction with the world and the world around them. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit and I am here with Erin M. Riley. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you for being here. I'm really glad. I'm really glad that we could, um, we could, we could meet. I feel like. I have to just be really honest and admit that like I've followed you for a long time and <laughs> you've been on the list of people that I like really want to speak to for a long time and I've really felt that it was like quite a long shot when I reached out to you that you would actually say yes so I'm like really stoked that you're here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like talking. I mean, I think podcasts, I listen to a lot of podcasts so it's cool to like be a part of it. You yeah,
0: know? cool. What kind of podcasts do you like to listen to?
1: Um sorts because you know when i'm working i listen to um like everything there's a lot of like true crime and i just like listened to this addiction one for like mm. two weeks straight which Whoa. was intense what yeah.
0: was what podcast was that
1: it's called dopey Ooh. it's pretty um rough yeah, but okay. it's like kind of relevant to what i'm thinking about and stuff so mm-hmm. um Yeah, so I listen to a podcast, like, straight. Right now I'm um, weaving and watching, like, random TV shows, so, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, nice. It's I find it interesting for me with with making work, like, I kind of go through lots of phases of, like, it'll be just podcasts all the time, or it'll be, like, just music all the time, and I have a really hard time, like, kind of, um, yeah, or just trashy TV for, like, a Mm. long period of time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
1: it really depends on mood, I think.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, So what I want to start with is I want, if you can, like, wind me all the way back to, like, what your first memory of working with fiber is, whether that's weaving or not. Can you take Mm -hmm. me back all the way there?
1: Yeah, so I was actually thinking about this to try to remember. But so, like, in sixth grade, we had um, home ec. Yeah. And so Homec was sewing and like I won the threading machine threading contest whatever.
0: Oh, yeah. So I was
1: like the I was the time to beat for like ever. Um in 6th grade. So um and I really loved sewing, you know, with the sewing machine. I was never I never did hand sewing before that. Mm. So after that, I got a sewing machine for my birthday. And that sewing machine just died recently. It was like 20 years old. So yeah, it was, it was like the thing that, um, my little sister and I used to share a room. So she would end up sleeping on the couch, like while I was sewing into the night, you know, they had to sort of tell me to go to bed, which is kind of the same life that I have now. But I also used to bring seed beads, like tiny seed beads to school. And um, I would like bring clothing or fabric and finish my test or whatever, like any moment, any moment, spare time, I would be sewing these seed beads onto fabric, which, and I also used to bring like like, fabric paint and, like, paint clothing in class.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Um, so there was a lot of sort of obsessive use of hands throughout yeah. my childhood.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting to me that your class would have framed it as, like, who can do this the fastest? Like, that's how they introduced you to, like, threading a machine.
1: Right. Yeah, totally. Well... I think they wanted us to like be really good at it, yeah. and then like there was just one day they were like, who can do this the fastest? And yeah. So, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. So the with the seed beads, do you remember sort of what that was like? Were you making things out of it? Were you just kind it of haphazardly? It was like
1: embellishing. Yeah. So I had these, like, I used to get, I don't know where I used to get them, but it was like thrift store stuff, and I would like get like really... There were these amazing pair of Wranglers that I like stitched the whole butt whole like back pockets with yeah. seed beads. Oh my god. Um and I didn't really know what I was doing so I ended up like obviously stitching the back pockets closed. They were right. no longer in use. Um But yeah, it was they were amazing old denim, you know, and then I don't know where they went. They probably were thrown out in yeah.
0: <laughs> Sad. I know. Sad. I know. I was going to be like, I hope you have those pairs so we can see them. No, not anymore. Uh, they yeah. sound amazing.
1: Yeah, they were really cool.
0: Yeah. And then fabric painting. Yeah. I, I had that. this,
1: like, um, I had this, like, really weird geometric sort of jacket that I wore all the time. And then I got, one of my uncles found a army jacket. So I got his army jacket and I just started, like, literally, like, tribal painting the back of it, Um, which it was more like freehand sort of whatever. But um, that's another thing that I threw out that I wish I didn't throw out.
0: But All of these things. There's so many times when I'm, like, talking to somebody and they tell me about all this stuff that they made when they were young. And I'm like, please say you kept it. Please say someone kept it. yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, so I started doing all that. I think I was just like, I wonder what the teachers were thinking a lot, you know, like why they let me do Mm -hmm. that. But I think I was just not bothering anyone. So it wasn't like a disturbance or anything. Yeah,
0: that is really interesting. And I feel like probably a lot of kids would really benefit from being allowed that type of practice. Like, I think there's really a reason that like fidget spinners became a huge thing. Yes, <laughs> Cause yeah. Because kids are like sitting in classes like bored out of their minds and like needing something to do or their need to to like something to help them focus. Like I really find that just in general to feel at ease, like I just am better when I have something in my hands that I can do something with. And like the fact that that now translates into like socks or like something that I can wear is just a nice like, byproduct of the fact that I have, like, excess energy in my body that, like, needs to go somewhere.
1: <laughs> yes, for sure.
0: Yeah. Do you, yeah, and then
1: I went to art school, but what what were you gonna say? No,
0: I was just gonna say, like, from there, do you remember kind of, like, where you took it after that, and, like, sounds like art school. Yeah, I
1: mean, I was, like, doing a lot of painting and, you know, art, and the stuff that I was doing never really, like, overlapped until, um, Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about like, I had a lot of, I had a good art curriculum, you know, like there was ceramics, there was um, an art class and a good art teacher. And so we did a lot of sort of mixed media things, but I never brought fibers into my, like art, quote unquote art. And um, I did that in college, but um, like I would make paintings and I would sew into them. But... Or I would make like collage quilts or something. Hmm. Um but weaving sort of came into my life in college. Yeah. So I was I was around like seventeen or eighteen then.
0: Okay. Yeah. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, I mean I went to art school I'm thinking I would be a painter or like fashion because I was super obsessed with sewing. And then I realized like fashion was more like um, money related mm. and a business. And I wasn't super into that. You know, I was more into the making. And so I found fibers, which I didn't even know was a major. And then um, saw the loom room, which had like a massive amount of looms and a yarn Wall that's like you know color coded, and um, I just thought like since I wanted to do fibers, I should take weaving because that was a requirement. So I was very practical about it, and then um, I don't know, I just really liked weaving. You know, it seemed practical, mm. it seemed um, logical. I was really good at math in high school, really loved math and. Um, there's a lot of calculation and weaving. So, yeah, I think I think maybe a combination of, like, the teacher I had and, you know, Massachusetts has a huge history of, of textiles. And I don't know, I'm always, like, wondering or, like, trying to pinpoint where that point was where I was just like, this is what I want to do. But I think it was more, like, bodily. You know, like, I liked the safety of it. I liked sort of having a home um, at the loom so like there was a place I should be mm. and it was very sort of um productivity based you know there was um like a a show of your labor yeah. which you know when you're sort of coming from this like middle lower middle class background being tired and doing work is like very sort of that's what you get the pat on the back for mm. um So I felt like I had to show my work and be productive in art school.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting that you used the word safety, too. Like, Mm -hmm. can you explain to me more what you mean by that?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, There was a lot of trauma in my childhood and my teenage years. Both of my sisters were... Um, sort of like in and out of addiction. So, um, going to rehab, going to jail, lost, sort of like never knowing where they were. Um, and, and various things, you know, like all sorts of things. So, um, weaving was like something that I was like, it was just like there and I could do, you
0: mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm.
1: Amidst the chaos.
0: Yeah. And it did it give you some feeling that painting and other forms of art didn't provide, do you feel like?
1: Um, not really, but I liked sort of, I don't know. Yeah. I really loved painting. Mm. Like, I loved making paintings. And I still sort of do. And drawing. I really do really love drawing still, but... Um, I don't know. There's something about like the physicality of weaving that's like very sort of um challenging and rewarding, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, sort of like besting yourself every day, mm. but then also like, if you get too cocky, you have to like sort of humble yourself again you mm. know? and like you're not in charge, and I like all that,
0: yeah, can you tell me what? your earlier weavings were like before now? Like, I guess how long ago? Because this would have been a while ago now that you started. Yeah, so this would
1: have been 2003.
0: Right, okay. Yeah, tell me about what that, like, from kind of 2003 (laughs) through. Yeah, we've got a lot of years to cover. (laughs) I
1: know, there's a lot. I know, I was just looking at a slideshow I did, and I've done this, I've done my slideshow from this point forever, Mm. and then I was, like, thinking, like, maybe it's too long. (laughs) Like, maybe the time frame is too long. Um, let's see, in college I was thinking about my sisters a lot, I was thinking about girlhood a lot, and I was thinking about how three girls grew up in a home, we have different fathers, but, um, I was just thinking about, like, this sort of ecosystem of three girls who grew up in a home, they're all pretty similar ages, you know, they're spaced apart evenly, um, how we all turned out so different, and, um... So I was researching birth order and um, like daddy issues and trauma and addiction and um, single parent households and, you know, like everything about growing up and how you become who you become. Um, Mm. And so a lot of the work I was making in college was based on childhood photographs. So it was like based on the photographs of Mm. my sisters. So I was like blanking out myself. Or, um, sort of accentuating them, you know, like when I was thinking about, because when someone's, you know, sort of struggling, everyone's obsessed with the addict. So, um, Mm. so yeah, you become sort of absent. And I think a lot of how I was the middle child. So there was a lot of like, you know, Aaron will be okay, but then like have to deal with this other sisters. Um. So I was like dealing with a lot of a lot of things that that were like obvious to me, but like sort of vague because my my family was close by I was in Massachusetts still um and then leaving Massachusetts, I went to grad school, so I went to grad school in Pennsylvania, and then I was sort of able to um sort of explore sort of more deeper deeper things
0: Mm. what did you do while you were there tell me more about that
1: so um you know i think part of addiction is like um everybody sort of judges the user or the person who's like an active addiction you know judges their actions judges their choices Mm. um and Part of sort of like reconciliation if any family is dealing with parents mm. and grandparents and family structure and um, like intergenerational trauma. So when I was I was sort of, you know, as a young adult, I was naive to a lot of things and judging my sisters um, because I was mad at them and their choices. And I thought it was easy to just stop, mm-hmm. you know. Um, like a lot of people think and, um, like leaving and sort of being able to have that distance, I was realizing like there's a, um, I was able to focus more on my mother Mm -hmm. (laughs) basically and like deal with a lot of the stuff that, um, I would have felt like, um, was a betrayal to sort of think about, Mm -hmm. um. Because, um, you know, it's not. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to like broach those subjects when the parent is so fragile, mm. you know. Mm. So, I was able to sort of make work about her and make work about um men and sexuality more, and so no one was really seeing that work which is kind of an, a blessing, you know. Nobody saw any of the work I really made in grad school. I threw I threw all that out. Really? Yeah, so I was making a lot of work about, like, I made work about our house um, and sort of, like, this sort of black hole of, like, um, like, just chaos and violence. Mm. And um, I threw that out. It was just, like, this giant... this um sculptural sort of I wove the walls of our house and like made a structure and like Ugh. um it was like this tent thing that I that you could crawl into and um it was lined with all of my work yeah. but it was the outside was this like black wool um structure mm-hmm. so um yeah was cool
0: Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that seems like just so much. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm interested as well in what that process was like for you of, of like throwing that work away. Like I imagine that, I mean, just knowing the little bit that I know about weaving Mm -hmm. and knowing about just like fiber art in general, like things take so long and there's so much of you that goes into each of those. Like, what was that process like for you?
1: I think for me, it's, like, even now when I weave stuff, it's, like, very much, like, you'd you'd make it and then you're, like, you kind of are done with it. Mm. Um, There's not a lot of connection. I wasn't really, like, I sort of blame the 80s and, like, cocaine on, like, my my lack of um, sort of, like, dopamine or, like, you know, like, pleasure. Mm. Retaining pleasure from things um, or sort of, like, having like, self-esteem or something like that. So um, thinking about the work, it was kind of like I made it and I did it and then I was just, like, done with it. Hmm. You know, I think um, I was never really, like, brought, brought up in a place where, like, things mattered or, like, you know, like, I was special or things were special, you know. So even if I wanted to keep it, there was no place to put it. So, like, you know, the practicality of um making something and then being proud of it and then having a place to put it you know mm. and i i i was moving it all on my own
0: yeah. so it was
1: like another level of like sort of like being burdened by my own sort of like i don't know narcissism you know like making this thing and then being like having to be like can you help me move this thing like i wouldn't do that so um i just threw it away right which um I don't know. I think I threw, like, away a lot of work. But, yeah, I just think it's just, like, it's easier to throw it away.
0: But so. if you also have so much work, right? Like, if, right, has, yeah. your, has your approach to this changed since grad school? Or, like, how have you – how has that changed?
1: Well, I've sort of, like, acquired it in a different way. It's rolled, so it's easier to store. Mm-hmm. Um, it – I do a lot of purging, so I do throw out a lot still. Mm. And I go through phases, or I did used to go through phases of just sort of, like, selling it for, like, $50 mm. to pay my rent. So I would do sort of studio purges where, like, everything was for sale. Like, I had no sort of, like, boundaries as far as um, value goes. Like, I just no. needed money.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So... I've gotten rid of a lot that way. And I also take my work apart. You know, yeah. like if it's a big piece and I've used a lot of yarn and it's something that I don't feel is, like, very, you know, successful or it's something, like, I I don't really mind taking apart, I'll take it apart and you reuse the yarn.
0: Wow. Because your pieces, I mean, at least from the – like, the scale seems in general, like, quite large. Do you yeah. mostly make pretty big work?
1: lately well i got a big loom i got a 100 inch loom in um 2015 okay so that was um the start of these 8 foot by like 8 foot pieces or oh my God. there a lot of them i was doing 8 foot by 8 foot but now they're kind of more um sort of you know horizontal so they're more like 8 foot by 6 foot
0: that is huge.
1: Yeah. They're, really, good. That's <laughs> they're huge. really heavy, too, and they're getting really annoying, um, but I'm going to try not throw them out. I've yeah. taken apart one, so.
0: Wow. So, this process of finding your way into weaving and the, like, materiality of it, um... I guess I'm curious about like your, like the literal materials that have gone into it. Like, was that sort of just informed by being at school or how did you kind of come into finding the sorts of materials that you ultimately like enjoy working with?
1: Um, Yeah. So at school I used like acrylic because that was what was the cheapest. Um, And randomly we would like, we would have to be like tested to like do the math in order for a project. Mm. Um, so, I would do that, and we also had this like um weird little annex that was like thirty years of yarn, just like in these like um ladders, and you could climb and um so I was exploring a lot of yarn um and when I first made a like a big tapestry, I took apart a bunch of sweaters, like old um wool sweaters and I think the first time I really, like, thought about it was um, making a project, and I had student loan money, so I, like, ordered nice wool, and um, it's this wool that they still make, but it's got polyester in it now, which is, like, it smells terrible, Um, but, so I, like, really liked that 100% wool, and... Mm. um, But it was really expensive, so I couldn't, like, it wasn't something I could, like, really latch on to. But um, then I went to, let's see, I went to grad school, and I started buying yarn on eBay. And I, like, um, was ordering giant cones of yarn off eBay, and then it was all just, like, rug wool, like, two-ply rug wool. And that was, that's been what I've been using since grad school. and. Um, it's all sort of starting to run out. So, I'm trying to figure out like um new new sources because yarn is sort of a scarcity these days.
0: So, is it literally like that you bought a big thing of it from back then, or that like you found a supplier and there's just no yeah? Why are they yeah yeah okay yeah this guy Kenny. Kenny,
1: <laughs> Kenny, the <laughs> yarn guy on eBay, he would call me and be like, we shipped your yarn out. And I'd be like, Kenny, there's like a button for that. Like, you don't have to call me. Like, eBay tells me that you shipped it. Um, but he was a great, he was like this yarn, he was selling out this warehouse of yarn um, in California. There's a couple of these guys around selling out old rug, rug mills. So they have, like, a stockpile of yarn, and, um, yeah, so there's a couple of them. He was the one that I found that had the most, like, sort of, it was the most, um, it was all the same. You know, it was all two-ply. There was three-ply, and then there was sometimes, like, really thick um, yarn that I didn't buy, but randomly I would buy it. And, um, And it was cheap, you know? It was, like, really affordable. And in grad school, I found on craigslist this like someone who was saying like take all the yarn because in philly there's textile mills too and um it was mostly cotton and there was like some really amazing rayon that had that i used for warp for a long time um it was it was like incredibly strong it was like fishing line but it was fuzzy and it was like you could it stuck to itself so um so i bought you know they were like give us $500. You can take everything. And I got um, like a bunch of fiber students at my grad school. And I said like, you can take as much as you can carry if you help me. And um, we filled like a 18 foot U-Haul and there was like probably three or four more loads and it was so overwhelming. So I basically bailed on the lady. I was like, I can't take more than this. You know, like, um hmm. I took what I could take and I wish I actually was more discerning because I would have taken more of the rayon and less of the cotton. Hmm. But, um you know, like, I didn't really know that I was going to be, like, bailing um because it was so overwhelming. But um there were, like, pallets of yarn. And so that's happened a few times. I've been the person that people say, like, we're cleaning out a warehouse, um, you know this yarn company in Philly, Wild Yarns. The warehouse they used to sort of manufacture in was being converted into lofts. Right. Someone found like giant pallets of wool and said, like, if you can come tomorrow, like, just take them. There um, so that's been that's happened a couple times, huh. and I just it just happened again. So, um, I got a bunch of like this, a lot of it's wool, but a lot of it's silk. So like, I'm not going to use a lot of that, but I've been trying to give it away to studio visitors. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> they cool. Come through. So. That's
0: really nice. Yeah. Where do you, how are you, um, cause you live in Brooklyn now, right? Yeah. Like, how are you keeping all that?
1: It's just in my studio. Yeah. Okay. In Stax, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like you started to mention how your work shifted towards, um like pleasure and that's mm-hmm. something that i see as like a theme in your work um particularly like sexual pleasure and like internet version of sexual pleasure i guess mm-hmm. if that makes mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. um can you talk to me more about all modern that? pleasure yeah um <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah so i think like so my life has sort of been this like um has for better or for worse been like studded by my sister's addiction so like when they're in active addiction i sort of think about them and my family and sort of what we can do and, which is like so codependent, like, you know, issue. Um, and I, and then when they're sober, I'm like, oh, I should start dealing with my own problems or like, I should think about myself. Um, and so they, they were sober for a little bit and I was able to sort of start to think about like, what are my vices or what are my shameful or what am I hiding? Mm-hmm. Um Or what am I sort of, like, not exploring because I'm scared? Um, You know, daddy issues can create risky behavior, and what are my risky behaviors? Um, So I started really exploring that and thinking about sexuality as this thing that I did that um, I got a lot of pleasure in, but sometimes I was putting myself in, you know, dangerous positions, or I was being harmful, or... um, yeah, so thinking about the interactions and sort of, I was making these sort of still lives of addiction. So I was thinking about like kits and like what my sisters were looking at. And then I was thinking about like what are my still lives, you know, like like the vibrators and mm-hmm. um, like the underwear or like um, various sort of intimate objects that I think about. So yeah, yeah. that's sort of how it came about. Yeah. Yeah, and I was also thinking, you know, I was dating and I was thinking about like um how I was just sort of like coming into figuring out myself and like my relationship to um commitment and gender and like freedom and sort of like I always knew that the w- the way men talked about women doing the things that I'm doing and that they they ask for but in public sort of shame women for, Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: I was always very sort of like confused by that. So, um, and I was um, amazed and sort of like jealous of the women who stood up for themselves because I, um, I wasn't there at that time, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and um just like you know, you judge an addict or judge somebody making a choice that you don't understand. Um, women judge each other a lot, so um, I was unpacking that and sort of like trying to figure out like how do we come together, you know, as sisters, but also like like literally as my my sisters, and sort of mm-hmm. start to broach these these relationships um, and and how do I sort of come back from this like this persona of being like a girl hater you know like Mm. being raised as like the competition and rather than sort of like camaraderie Mm. so Mm. yeah. yeah and i don't know that my work does that you know i think in a lot of ways my work alienates me from um womanhood and things like that i don't necessarily like um relate to those things And I think a lot of, like, historically female sexual artists um, have a history of being sort of, like, hated or, like, Mm. um, ostracized. Mm. Um, And I've had situations where that's sort of, like, similar, but um, it's it's not the – I'm fine with it, you know? It's, like – I'm making the work that I want to make and I'm not going to not make the work um, to have more friends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that's interesting because I I something I was thinking about before we started talking was just the ways that your work once in public, like what that dialogue then becomes and like what how that relationship changes from it having been like quite this intimate portrait of you yeah. doing your work, and then it's in this open space, and people can talk about it and there's these themes of like there's there's blood and there's you know there's menstruation and there's porn and there's these things that I like I personally feel really happy to see particularly mm. within fiber art but just in art in general, but I was curious to ask you about how in general it's responded to publicly,
1: yeah I think um the porn stuff is like the porn stuff to me is like the most sort of um it's kind of like the sort of hot button issue with people who are pretty uh scared of sexuality, mm-hmm. you know, it's like um it's like people who see the porn pieces want to all of a sudden talk about like um sex trafficking or like um rape culture or um you know, various things that um make the performers victims. Mm. So they're sort of jumping to the fact that they're being exploited. Um, And that's obviously an issue with sex work and um, something that I've read a lot about and, you know, know a lot of sex workers. So it's not something that I'm ignorant to, but um, it's something that I think people jump to as sort of like this like political... um, way to shut it down you know it's like they they're not saying like it's perverted or it's wrong or um they're saying the women are being dehumanized and um you know which is yeah that's a great conversation to have but it's not like we aren't having that conversation about like workers you know in at amazon you know like we Mm -hmm. aren't having that conversation as a whole about everybody Mm -hmm. um and quality and you know sort of all of these things and i think for me and for like most people from my generation porn was this thing that happened to us you know like we the the internet sort of came and (laughs) porn came too you know like there was there was no consent in those early years. You were just like all of a sudden a pop up would happen and you'd be like, "Oh, porn." Yeah, right. Um, so and there were times when I was like pretty sure that my sexual, like that I was a lesbian because you know men were scary on the internet, and then I was pretty sure that I was queer. You know, like the in like porn, it really allowed me to know that like, um or like to everybody. Mm. So, um, porn for me has always been this like, um, safe or not safe, but sort of like this. Yeah. There's like private thing that happens. And, um, masturbation was also a thing that, um, I never felt it was like that wrong, you know, like, mm. um, sneaking off with boys, you know, at night, to go drink, that felt scary to me. Mm-hmm. So, like, being on the internet and doing these things alone, like, I always felt fine, you know? Like, I was never – I could close the window. I could stop the conversation. Um, and the internet in the beginning was all very, like, fantasy-based, you know? Yeah. I was – we were forced to, like, sort of – it was very text-based. It was um, – very little images so you were sort of forced to like express yourself you know ask for what you want and sort of like pretend to be a person who wants this and then see how that feels and then Mm. you know so you were sort of exploring your identity um as like this avatar that didn't that wasn't you you know whereas the internet now it's like it's all it's all us yeah So we have to like really um like, bank on our identity and, like, stand by our identity, which is not fluid, you know, it's not yes. Like, so it's static. Yes. All the time, so.
0: Yes. I don't want to cut you off. <laughs> I didn't want to cut you off at all, but I was just, like, nodding so vigorously because that feels yeah. so... Um. That just feels like such a relevant and important and, like, really poignantly phrased way to describe what it is like to be on the internet as a person in 2019, where you've crafted an identity, right? Like this is a crafted identity for the internet, regardless of how vulnerable and real and authentic you are online. It is still a performance It is still crafted. And yet the expectation too, is that it's like static, right? It's like you are this person and you tweeted something about blah, 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 six years ago, and now we hate you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think that 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 is such an interesting thing that I had not really thought about, about like the early internet where, and I guess it's partly because I was like, I'm 27 now. Mm-hmm. And so the internet kind of like, I remember dial up. I remember all of that. Yeah. But like, yeah. but like I was quite young when the internet was pretty new. So I wasn't in like chat rooms and I wasn't, you know, I was playing Neo yeah. pets. Like I was, yeah. my avatar yeah. was like a little, it <laughs> was like, you know, was like a little fairy or whatever like, I wasn't so like I wasn't enough of an adult yet, or even like a teenager yet, to be exposed to anything that was like, uh, I mean, a little bit sexual, but like for the most part, I don't I don't remember much of that. And like, I just think that that's so interesting t- for you to point that out about like it's it was fantasy, and there was this ability to sort of like. I don't know, you didn't necessarily say anonymously, but you could kind of almost anonymously explore these things or have a little bit of anonymity within it.
1: completely anonymously. Right. There was no way to find each other, you know. It was
0: like
1: you had a screen name and email addresses, but email addresses weren't like a thing, really. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, it's what people would call catfishing now. But it wasn't something that people – the internet wasn't a thing you – crossed into right you know it wasn't um it was a thing and you like sort of um you could step away from it mm-hmm. and so now it's like this um vortex <laughs> it's like it's like reality it's everything so yeah i mean i would go online as a young person and write like erotic novels and like share pictures and um it was this thing that I know that if I was caught, um my mom or my parents probably would have taken the internet away,
0: mm.
1: and then I maybe would have would have gone and hung out with the skateboarders or the you know like gone and done things, and maybe my life would have been different if I had like a social life as a child. Um, but I didn't, you know, I was alone all the time and, um, was scared of getting pregnant. I was scared of getting assaulted. I was scared of a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, because that's how I was raised in a house that, um, sort of, we were to be sex with something you, that happened to you and it wasn't something that you engaged with. So I had a lot of fear around it and, um, so yeah, who knows. Maybe if the internet hadn't happened, I would have been a different person. But mm. for me it allowed me to like sort of um learn a lot and it was, you know, you become very self-possessed. You know, you learn how to like how to code and how to like make blogs and how to um you know, reach out. I I I learned a lot about like literature and books, mm. you know, like with random people who were like sharing me things. So mm. It was um yeah, it was a thing I really liked and then um growing up and sort of like thinking about other people's relationship to sex and to um porn um and and like sort of mild um obsessions with it, you know, sort of like crossing into following a porn star's Twitter and it being a a relationship and sort of projecting on this, these performers, um, allowed me to sort of start to see that, like, um, like different versions of monogamy, you know, and like Mm -hmm. sort of start to let go of jealousy and, um, ownership and all of these things that, um, being raised to sort of think of women or as you know think of women as the competition and then i was started to think of them as um like you know we're all on the same team mm-hmm. yeah
0: you know? mm-hmm. I, yeah i feel like that's such a relevant point as well just in general that like as much as we're all like raw raw feminism and <laughs> I feel like in the year 2019, we should be able to be like, yeah, all women empower other women. It's just so not the case. <laughs> like, yeah, just so many examples of, um, women tearing other women down, just like such internalized misogyny in the world yes. that just is so rampant in so many ways. Um, I appreciate hearing someone who's like actively trying to like, flip that switch within their own brain, but also Mm -hmm. like use their work to challenge people to think about it in a, in a different way, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 It's definitely like a constant, yeah. Re sort of reworking how my family talks about all of us, you know, Mm -hmm. like sort of thinking about value and girlhood or, um, you know, I sort of identify more, in like the non-binary situation, but mm. um, I, my work presents us women, you know, and I think of, I do a lot of work about growing up to be raised a thing, you know, mm. that has been constructed. So I'm fine with those like sort of words, you know, mm. but yeah, it's definitely something, you know, I go home and it's like, the, one of the first things my mom always says to me is, like, that I should be wearing more makeup, mm. which is, like, this... But then she always says, like, my other sister should be wearing less makeup. So it's, like, this super complicated, like, like, we'll never be, you know, like... Yeah. And it's, like... And I'm always so sad about that because it's, like, we are her, you know? We are half her.
0: Totally. And so
1: I'm always, like, so sad for that, that, like, we should be... We should be the, like you know, because she obviously has very little, um, or not a lot of self-love, you know? So like Mm -hmm. her that reflects on us, you know? And I think that's, I feel sad for her and like, I'm not really like looking to be pretty anyways. So (laughs) it's not something like from a young age that was never like my goal in life. Um, so, um, I was always like pretty, a tomboy. So, um, I'm always like okay, yeah, I'll wear more makeup, but um, yeah, it's something you have to sort of fight constantly against. So. Mm-hmm. And then thinking about sort of the work I, you know, textiles in general, It's yeah. like people are always bringing up womanhood, and I'm never sure, like, sort of how that. I don't have that connection to it, you know. Mm.
0: Do, you Do you mean you have that connection? Do you mean like specifically, like I? identifying as a woman or identifying with like like, feminine traits, right. I, I'm really interested to like interrogate that as like a thing that binds like women's work. Like why has it been relegated to like a second? Like, why is it not art? Why is it always craft? Like I'm really interested in that, but I don't like personally heavily identify with like the like femininity of it. I don't know. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Cause I do, I like to think about that and like Yeah, I always am interested in like how it is over the course of this podcast that like, yes, the most of the guests have been like women identified people. And like, Mm -hmm. what does that say about it? Really, I think what does it say more about like, like, I think it says more about society than it does the actual individuals. Like, I think it says more about the way we're socialized, probably Mm -hmm. to enjoy things. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah.
1: Or like the value of time, totally. I think, you know, like yeah. capitalism and all of that. Yeah. So.
0: yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I, I haven't finished the book women's work, but I was very excited when I got through the first few bits of it, just like having a broader historical context. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like I have a decent handle on the last like 20 years of craft, but like. Prior to that, like, oh, industrial revolution, and before that, and stuff like, Mm. why was it actually that women, um, women kind of ended up working primarily in textiles? And so, I feel like just more things like that. Like, I want to read more about that sort of stuff to understand what the historical context is for all of it as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's more, I think the insecurity of that label sometimes makes it like front and center. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, um, I've been trying to sort of disengage, even though I brought it up, but um, I'm trying to sort of like disengage from that conversation, but, mm. even the other day, I was at a talk, and the person makes um textile ish work, and I was they were brought up to tradition and they talked about a lot about tradition and um, yeah, I think textiles has been so like removed from. Tradition, like obviously, there are people whose grandmothers did sewing, but I think that for a lot of us, there was a gap. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that some parents kind of either didn't have relationships with their grandparents, or you know, I didn't grow up with grandparents, so it was like something that, like, I didn't have a little old lady in a corner, you know, doing her knitting or sewing, or yeah. um. But I do know people who have that, you know, and that's pretty cool. Um, And then sometimes I think like, oh, those people have a better, like, stake in this Mm. material. Mm. You know, it's in their, it's in their genes or it's in their bones, you know. Um, But yeah, so I don't think it's in my, my, I don't know. Maybe there's a weaver, a long lost weaver, but I think it's more of a temperament, and like a need. Yeah. Um I know weavers who have drastically different political views from me, who have um, you know, who do not like my work, who whatever. And they we agree on the basics, you know, like we are um we are impatient in life, but we are very patient in the making. Yeah. And um we didn't get in like we didn't get into it because, like, I don't know. I think, I, for me, I thought a lot of weavers were upper class. Mm. I always thought um an artist, you know, I think even still people think artists are all, like, very rich, you <laughs> know, or, like, it's a privilege to sort of pursue. And it is. But I do also think that, like, having nothing or, like, having no stakes or nowhere to fall, it's, like um, there's a freedom in that, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I think I was always like, like stuck on never having kids and never having like baggage or, um, you know, (laughs) through all my workouts. So it's like, I don't have a lot to move. And, um, it's all, I can, I've always joked, like I can sleep in my work, you know, like I can use it as, um, shelter. So it's like, I think when you don't have far to fall or a lot to lose, like, making is not that risky, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I think having no sort of, like, loyalty to my family, you know, I felt pretty, um, as long as I wasn't um, needing bail or, like, going to jail or, like, needing to go to rehab, it was, like, I was pretty much, like, do what you need to do. Um, And I think for for better, for worse, that allowed me a lot of freedom because I was, like, sort of let go from these, like, um, I do feel a lot of guilt from, like, not being able to be a provider, you know, as far as, like, helping my family out, but um, I think that allowed me this freedom to, like, you know, you guys aren't gonna help me, so I don't have to to help you, Mm. and um, we can check in on each other every now and then, but, like, um, I'm not asking anything from you. Right. So I don't owe you anything. Um, and yeah, I think it's an interesting path, you know, it's sort of like survival and um, like, yeah, I don't know. It's I'm reading a lot. I'm reading this book, Ninth Street Women. Okay. Have you heard
0: of
1: that? No. It's like about a lot of the women in, um, the early abstract in in New York okay and so they're painters and like talking about the like a, a few painters like abandoned children and mm. you know ran away from marriages and um, which is probably a common story amongst male painters but they're sort of, you know it's like a yeah. thing that um, you know it seems, Seems so shameful, you know, for them to pursue this. But it's, like, it's either that or they are horrible mothers or, like, you know, bad partners or um, unhappy, you know. It's, like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting choice. I don't know. Yeah. Weird tangent, but.
0: No, no, I think it's it's all <laughs> relevant, you know, and it, it also kind of, um, I guess, it feeds into my curiosity around um the pieces of putting together an art practice and keeping yourself alive, you know, fi- mm-hmm. financially and whatever else. And mm-hmm. you had mentioned before that, like, you've done these sort of studio clear outs where you sell things for like 50 bucks or whatever, which is wild, like your work is so huge and there's so much labor and there's so much, um, there's so many materials that go into it. Has your relationship to like how you value it changed over time or like, what does that kind of look like now?
1: Um, no, it's more sort of like set in stone, you know, like mm. I work with a gallery, so there mm. are sort of restrictions on my um, ability to be self-destructive you know um but there are a couple pieces like there's a couple pieces that reference an x that I might bleach which I believe I've been bleaching a few of my my work for oh, a while. Yeah. Then,
0: I mentioned I saw you say something about that and again I guess yeah. like my mind is so like I get unraveling and stuff but I had not even considered that as a possibility to just bleach your- yeah so
1: like weave it and then bleach it which I was doing I did that a lot for um like dick pics people would send me so like unsolicited dick pics I would um weave them and then I would bleach them out so they were these like sort of tonal like um you know images yeah which they were really cool um That's amazing but wool really gets gross when you bleach it it gets like crunchy and it's mm. there's this like happy moment where it doesn't like start to disintegrate so um and a lot of the wool i use is like treated so it's hard to get really good bleach out of it um so so yeah so right now i'm just making work and then my gallery will see it and then they'll usually take a lot of it okay and so they'll have it at the gallery they'll show people or they'll send it to shows and stuff like that so right, okay. um a lot of the work leaves the studio pretty soon yeah um I do live with a lot of it because I make a lot so I live I like will put it up and then um have develop a relationship with it and then and then it can go and have a life outside of the studio
0: yeah when did you start working with the gallery
1: um in 2017.
0: Okay. So that's like yeah. sort of recent.
1: New. Yeah. 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 I just had my first solo show a year ago. Oh, cool. With them.
0: Yeah. Wow. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: That yeah. seems
0: like Pretty a, cool. or I imagine that feeling like a m- somewhat se- more secure relationship than like just trying to say Yeah. Work. I mean, but commitment
1: is also very scary. <laughs>
0: totally. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, yeah.
1: Um, do they still like me? Are they ha- are they mad at me? Do they like me? Are they right. giving other people more attention? So it's um it's great. It's completely great. And it's actually the stability is what's kind of confusing because uh-huh. my life has been so unstable for so long. Yeah. Um, and so getting used to um, you know, they tell me, ask us for help. Like what do you need, you know, <laughs> whereas galleries in my past life have been, like, can you ship the work, like, or they'll be, like, using me as a therapist, you know, yeah. like, we can't pay our rent, we, can, We, uh, you know, like, just, like, unloading, you know, yeah. and I think, um, so this is, like, the first really sort of stable gallery relationship I've had, and, and it's great, you know, I think yeah. it's really cool, and, um, yeah. I don't
0: know. Yeah. So what kind of work are you working on now? Can you talk me through some stuff?
1: Yeah. So one of my sisters relapsed in October. Mm. So for October I was at a residency and I was weaving um a lot of self-portraits and like mm. thinking about um I was just like going through a lot of images that I've been avoiding or just like putting on the back burner and um then I was watching intervention a lot mm-hmm. all through the residency because I was like intervention allows me to like use have the words, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so when I was answering the phone, I was like having the words and I was practicing the like the script and um boundaries and all of that. So um I did two pieces that I just made from screenshots from intervention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and then um Right now I'm weaving, like, the fourth in a series of self-portraits from um, their pictures of me in rooms from people that I slept with or was with. And um, sort of thinking about who I was, you know, less about my body and, like, you know, they're sort of, like, selfie nudie pics, mm-hmm. but they're more about, like... It's, like, less about sexuality and more about, like, who I was, you know, who and who – what I was thinking about and sort of the spaces I was in and um, the people I was with and – um, yeah. And then I think I might weave some lady slippers next. The flowers. Oh, okay. Lady slippers. Okay. So my that's, like, the next piece, so yeah. – and I'm doing a residency at this paper place, so I'm doing – um a car crash series at this paper oh, mill. Cool. Um, so I'm doing a lot.
0: Yeah. And these are all kind of or mainly that that large scale are they are you working mostly from that hundred inch loom?
1: No, they're um for well a few of them are large and then mostly mm-hmm. they're medium size. So my medium size is four feet wide.
0: Yeah wow. I mean that's still so that's like huge. Yeah, it's pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. Is there Do you have any, like, I'd love to know if there's anywhere that we can up in the upcoming months, see your work or anything you'd like the podcast listeners to know about?
1: Um, I don't think I have anything in the upcoming months, maybe in New York in May. Yeah, cool. I don't really know the details, um, right now.
0: Great. Yeah. Well, if they come out, we'll add them to the show notes because that would be really great. Yeah. I Yeah, I would love, we'll get some good pictures of your work into the show notes, but I also would really love to be able to see them in person because I think that that's where they will really, really translate because just the, I feel like this about weaving a lot with the scale of it and just the incredible detail and particularly the type of weaving that you do where it really is, it very easily could have been drawn or painted like if you were looking Mm -hmm. at it from a distance you would not realize that this is something that you would have had to like mathematically calculate and then (laughs) create with your hands on a loom like it's just incredible
1: yeah I do like sort of how the internet allows you um you know I think you know algorithms say like your work should be good for the internet but I think there's something so like um like punk about like making work that isn't good for the internet mm-hmm. you know it's like yeah. it it looks good and i can photograph it well but like it's different in real life and i think like there's something um really satisfying to that fact mm-hmm. and like allowing people to go i don't need to see that show but if they do see it it's a different experience and having that um click in their minds like oh maybe i should see stuff in person or maybe i should engage with things so yeah Yeah. My work is really different in person. Um, so yeah, it's good to, I have been sort of slowing down with showing. I used to show all the time. So, Mm -hmm. um, I am sort of slowing down, but things are coming. So
0: cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. It was really, really good to talk to you.